Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Changing the Course of Ulcerative Colitis, Addressing Unmet Needs Through Effective Disease Severity Assessments and New Therapeutic Strategies. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an educational grant from AbbVie Incorporated. Hi, I'm Dr. Russell Cohen, Professor of Medicine and Director of the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Center at the University of Chicago in Chicago, Illinois. In this program, we will discuss how approved JAK inhibitors fit into the current treatment landscape of ulcerative colitis. The approved JAK inhibitors, tofacitinib and upatacitinib, are indicated in adults with moderately to severely active ulcerative colitis who have an inadequate response or intolerance to one or more TNF blockers. Therefore, it's important that we review the importance of recognizing disease progression and accurately assessing disease activity. Ulcerative colitis is generally just seen as a mucosal disease. However, there are changes over time that happen in patients with ulcerative colitis. For example, the lamina propria starts thickening. You can see hypertrophy of the muscularis mucosa, thickening of the submucosal fat, and relaxing and thinning of the tinea coli. These things may be seen under the microscope by a pathologist, but there's also endoscopic signs too that gastroenterologists or other providers who are looking in the bowel might notice. It's important when you are assessing a patient with ulcerative colitis to determine where they are in this stage of progression and then how to prevent them from getting worse. While clinically it may be apparent how ulcerative colitis progresses over time by your patient's symptoms, in reality, studies have shown an increased inflammatory burden that's cumulative over time, causing bowel damage, decrease in rectal compliance, worsening of quality of life, and potentially increasing the risk for colon cancer. And remember, the biggest risk for cancer in patients with ulcerative colitis is colon and rectal cancer. As there is a poor correlation between clinical symptoms and endoscopic findings, it is important to look and see how patients' colitis is improving with therapies. There are various tools for assessing disease activity endoscopically. Most of us use the Mayo score. It's very easy. If you're looking into the bowel, a Mayo zero is a normal-looking bowel mucosa with clear vascular pattern. Patients who have mild endoscopic disease or a Mayo one Looks as if someone took sandpaper and erased the vascular lining and you see erythema, decreased vascular pattern, mild friability, but no clear ulcerations or erosions. However, once someone progresses to Mayo 2 where they have mucosal breaks, erosions, or small ulcerations, that's moderately severe ulcerative colitis by endoscopic criteria. And it's important to realize that because many of our patients are undertreated. And finally, a Mayo 3, spontaneous bleeding or ulceration, is sometimes difficult to determine whether the patient actually has ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease at this point because of the ulceration. Next, we will discuss the rationale for JAK inhibitors in the treatment of ulcerative colitis. The treatment landscape for ulcerative colitis is constantly evolving. In this session, we will review why JAK inhibitors are used to target disease pathophysiology in patients with ulcerative colitis. Many of you may be aware of the various biological therapies that are FDA approved for moderate severe ulcerative colitis, but those biological therapies are proteins and for the most part are involved with a particular inflammatory protein, be a TNF or IL-12, 23, IL-6, reaches their receptor to turn on 
the white blood cells to cause more inflammation. But JAK inhibitors are entirely different. These are oral therapies, and they're responsible for blocking the receptor activation inside of the white blood cell and thus stopping the signal transduction of the cytokine to the nucleus. So for example, if you have a receptor that binds IL-12 or IL-23, how does it turn on the nucleus to cause inflammation? It has to go through the JAK-STAT pathway. The JAK inhibitors target the JAK-STAT pathway, very different from what we've used before. There are different JAK inhibitors approved for various diseases in humans and currently in the treatment of moderate severe ulcerative colitis, there are two FDA-approved JAK inhibitors. The first one that was approved is tofacitinib, which is a pan-JAK inhibitor, primarily blocking JAK1 and 3 with some blockade of JAK2. More recently, upadacitinib was approved. This is a selective JAK1 inhibitor, which primarily targets JAK1, which we believe is the pathway that is of more interest towards treating inflammatory diseases as opposed to hematologic diseases or other conditions. You may see advertisements for JAK inhibitors or tyrosine kinase 2 inhibitors, TIC2 inhibitors, currently for treating inflammatory diseases. We anticipate that the JAK inhibitors will continue to expand as a class in treating inflammatory conditions. The implications of JAK selectivity upon therapeutic efficacy or safety have yet to be fully determined. In the next session, we will review the efficacy data for approved JAK inhibitors. But recent approval of upadacitinib has sparked renewed interest in JAK inhibitors for the treatment of ulcerative colitis. In this session, we will review the available efficacy data for the approved JAK inhibitor. The first FDA-approved JAK inhibitor for the treatment of moderate severe ulcerative colitis was tofacitinib. Tofacitinib was a very big breakthrough for us, as many of the outcomes in the clinical trial were clearly better with the medication versus placebo in the eight-week induction trials. For example, clinical remission, clinical response, endoscopic improvement, as well as a variety of other endpoints were all clearly better with tofacitinib than with placebo. And these benefits were also maintained at week 52 in the subsequent maintenance trial, where there was a clear benefit of tofacitinib versus placebo. Similarly, when upadacitinib had their clinical trials, there was across the board obvious benefit of the drug versus placebo. Clinical remission, clinical response, endoscopic improvement for outcomes as well as a host of other outcomes were all clearly better with the drug at week eight and in maintenance at week 52 than patients with placebo. In both instances, the JAK inhibitors were effective not only in patients who were naive to higher biologics or to anti-TNF therapies, but they were also effective in patients who had previously been exposed to anti-TNF agents. This is a very important point. Currently, the prescription of the JAK inhibitors require a prior anti-TNF agent. Many of the other therapies that are used for moderate to severe ulcerative colitis do see a precipitous drop-off in efficacy if patients have failed prior anti-TNF. And the JAK inhibitors also work rather quickly in some patients with reports of patient symptom improvement 
within one to three days in some instances when looking at patient diaries. Next, we will review the safety profiles of the approved JAK inhibitors as well as strategies for monitoring and managing side effects associated with these therapies. Despite the efficacy of JAK inhibitors in moderate severe ulcerative colitis, some clinicians have concerns about their safety. In this session, we'll review the common side effects associated with tofacitinib and upadacitinib, as well as strategies for maximizing safety with these agents. For both JAK inhibitors, the safety profiles were similar. The data for upadacitinib is similar to tofacitinib. Adverse event reporting, which is typically greater than 5%, was seen for nasopharyngitis, elevated cholesterol levels, headache, upper respiratory tract infection, CPK elevations, rash, diarrhea, and herpes zoster. Elevated cholesterol levels is a known event. Both, quote, good and bad, unquote, cholesterol levels go up, typically 10 to 12%, and there has not been clinical significance seen from those. DPK elevations are also seen in this class and are not felt to have any clinical significance. Herpes zoster, on the other hand, is seen in about 6% of the patients in the clinical trials, none or virtually none of whom had had the recombinant shingles vaccine prior to the trials. As a result, it is recommended that patients get vaccinated with the recombinant shingles vaccine either prior to or shortly after starting any of the JAK inhibitor. Long-term studies of safety reported rates of malignancies that were similar between the JAK inhibitors and placebo, as well as rare pulmonary embolisms, almost always in patients who had a previous thrombotic event or a high risk for having one. In all instances, for all biologics and small molecules in ulcerative colitis, prior to starting therapy, one month after starting therapy, and every three to four months afterwards, the patient should be seen live for evaluation, blood tests, such as a complete blood count with differential, hepatic function panel should be checked. For JAK inhibitors, the cholesterol, LDL, and HDL levels should be done initially at eight to 12 weeks afterwards. Serum creatinine levels may be seen slightly elevated, again, of minimal, if any, clinical significance, and they can be monitored yearly. Patients who are at higher risk for a thrombotic event, we're currently not recommending the use of JAK inhibitor if another therapy is available. That data will likely change over time as we get more long-term safety data. JAK inhibitors should not be used in conjunction with other immunosuppressive agents. If patients have a potential side effect to a JAK inhibitor, it should be stopped immediately. These medications can be restarted without fear of immunogenicity as they are oral agents rather than injectables or infusibles, as is the case with biologics. Next, we will discuss strategies for individualizing JAK inhibitor therapy in patients with moderate to severe ulcerative colitis. Treatment selection for ulcerative colitis can be challenging because there are so many options available. In this session, we will discuss strategies for individualizing treatment with the aim of aligning patient and physician treatment goals. I think it's important to remember that certain therapies such as the JAK inhibitor are used with FDA approval in multiple other areas for human disease. Therefore, if you do have a patient who happens to also have an FDA approved indication for a JAK inhibitor, such as rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis or others, then you may be able to treat both conditions with one medication. So always get a good history from your patient and see if you can cover two diseases with one therapy. In the case of JAK inhibitors, 
there are times when we would not use them. The first is if patients are pregnant or currently breastfeeding. We do not have enough data on that yet. Currently, the FDA requires an anti-TNF therapy prior to a JAK inhibitor. Patients who have an active infection should not be treated with a JAK inhibitor until the infection is treated and verified that is gone. Patients who have a history of blood clots or are at high risk for blood clots may be one served better with a different agent. The same may be true for patients who have cardiovascular disease or other complications of the cardiovascular system. It is recommended that patients who are active smokers stop smoking when on any immunosuppressive therapies at all. Care decision-making with your patients is important. Many patients may prefer a once-a-day oral therapy rather than giving themselves shots or having to travel to get IV therapies. It's important to discuss with your patient what are their priorities and then work with them to reach the best therapeutic intervention that meets both their expectations and also treats their condition. In conclusion, early recognition of disease progression and accurate assessment of disease severity is necessary for maximizing treatment outcomes and patient quality of life in ulcerative colitis. JAK inhibitors target key inflammatory pathways involved in the pathogenesis of ulcerative colitis. Selective JAK inhibitor therapies have been shown to effectively treat ulcerative colitis without off-target toxicity. Treatment for ulcerative colitis should be individual. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.